It has been a big week in energy. I guess it's always a big week in energy. That's why this podcast never gets boring. The Supreme Court favorably ruled on demand response. There's a major energy bill moving through Congress. The stock market is in turmoil. Oil companies are shedding tens of thousands of jobs. That gas leak is still making people sick in California. The stories never end. Unfortunately, the gang did have to end this week. We had to take another week off. I'm sorry to say that we don't have our regular show. We will be back next week on a regular schedule. But we have a fantastic fill-in. Earlier this week, Shale Khan, Julia Piper, and I sat down to talk about Nevada's net metering debacle. The conversation was part of The Interchange, our weekly podcast only available to GTM Squared members. So we're giving you something for free this week. And remember, you could be getting additional conversations like this for a ridiculously low yearly price. Plus, you'll get discounts to our conferences, free live streams of all our events, and in-depth analysis from our team of editors and researchers. If you like what you hear, go over to greentechmedia.com squared to become a square and enjoy the conversation. This is The Interchange, a weekly podcast about the changing business of energy and clean tech. This week, the solar bubble has popped in Nevada. We are going to examine a very controversial policy change there that has dismantled the solar industry basically overnight. We'll get into the politics of the matter and the economics as well. I'm Stephen Lacey in Washington, D.C. Shale Khan, my co-host, is in Boston. How are you, sir? Doing well, Stephen. Out in Santa Monica is our intrepid senior writer, Julia Piper, who's been following this story closely. How are you, Julia? I'm great. I'm in Santa Monica. Wasn't that long ago that you were sitting here right next to me in D.C. Before we get serious, our first priority is a challenge, a fun challenge. This week's challenge is as follows. It's related to Nevada. What does the word Nevada mean? I'm, I'm not going to tell you what language it is because that might give it away, maybe, but there is a non-English meaning to Nevada. So does it mean never-ending skyline, covered in snow, or desert sun? And uh, I usually give our guests the first chance at this, so Julia, you're up. The options are never-ending skyline, covered in snow, or desert sun. I'm going to say never-ending skyline. I think desert, and I recently drove across the country. Uh, seems like that might be on theme for me. Uh, but there are some some hills there, so I, I don't know. I, I'm going to throw that one out, though. Okay. Shea, what do you have? This is tricking me because, so I'm, I'm in the mode of thinking in Spanish now because you and I, Stephen, were in Mexico last week for our Mexico Solar Summit. So my like Spanish brain is, is very active and I know that nieve in Spanish is, is snow. On the other hand, covered in snow does not seem like a logical name for the state of Nevada. You would think it would be like desert, what was it? Desert skyline, desert, desert sun. Um, yeah. but, I, but I'm in Spanish mode, so I'm, I'm going to go with covered in snow, as little sense as that makes. Way to go. It does make sense. You used your instincts correctly. And by the yes. way, your Spanish was very good in Mexico. So right. yeah, yeah, it comes thanks. from the Spanish uh, Sierra Nevada, which means snow-covered mountain range. Good job. Wow. 
Who Next knows, cocktail Joe? party. That's like your that's your second one you've gotten right. All right, I'm proud I know, of you. I'm on a roll. Never again, probably. I guess Desert Sun would have been more appropriate because that's what we're talking about today. We thought the uh, ITC was a big deal at the end of last year, which of course it was, I think arguably one of the biggest policy stories of 2015. But Nevada was was arguably the biggest political story for solar in the U.S. And it sort of snuck up on us at the end of the year. Um, our, our GTM editorial and research team has been consumed by this story over the last few months, just trying to understand what it means. Uh, to recap, regulators just before Christmas voted to phase net metering uh, down for solar, down to the wholesale rate over a four-year period of time. And it's also going to basically triple monthly charges over time as well. People were absolutely livid, but most in the solar industry knew it was a possibility for many months, right? We've known these changes are coming, but no one really knew what the scope of the changes would be. The kicker was that they applied it to all customers. So if you signed a contract, you know, under the old rate a couple years ago, now your PPA terms have, have changed. It is not a good situation. We're potentially looking at defaults in you know 2018 2019 when the rates really start changing dramatically shale you and your team have been following the implications of this decision pretty closely what are you and julia and i trying to answer today well there's a ton to talk about this is one regulatory ruling in one state but it's so much more aggressive than others that we've seen in other states, and it has so many unique characteristics that we have a lot to talk about. Uh, one thing we want to talk about is what are the actual changes that the Nevada Public Utilities Commission has imposed, and what is the real economic impact for solar customers? Another question is how did this happen? You know, what actually led the Public Utilities Commission in Nevada to decide this as they did where many other states have grappled with similar issues and none have come out nearly as far along that end of the spectrum as Nevada has. Uh, then we should talk about the grandfathering issue, which you just mentioned, which is a thing in and of itself and in my mind by far the most pernicious part of this ruling as far as the solar market is concerned. So we should talk about that and what, if any, implications this has for rooftop solar across the country, for other markets, for other states, um, and for the ability to finance solar. So tons to cover. All right. So let's grapple with all that stuff. S starting off, just run us through what the ruling is exactly. Right. So uh, there have been a lot of articles in the press talking about this. Most of them have not actually included the numbers. So I thought it'd be worthwhile to run you through the actual numbers of what the Nevada Public Utilities Commission has approved. Um, and it's it's separated, you know, most of the customers in Nevada are, are in NV Energy Territory, that's the utility, and it's separated into two different rates, one for Southern Nevada and one for Northern Nevada. They're similar, the numbers are just slightly higher in Northern Nevada. So I'll give you the Southern Nevada numbers just as an example. So the, the rate that customers have been under most recently included a monthly service charge, fixed fixed rate of $12.75 a month. So they pay that and they couldn't net meter that out. And then the volumetric charge, which was the rate that they paid and the rate at which their, their excess generation that was fed back into the grid was compensated was 11.3 cents a kilowatt hour. So a $13 monthly charge and 11.3 cents um, for electricity. 
Now, it's going to change annually between 2016 and 2020. So it's a phased approach, but I'll just tell you the end game. The end game is that the monthly fee goes from $1,275 to $3,851. So a $39 monthly charge that cannot be reduced at all with solar energy efficiency or anything else. The volumetric charge goes down slightly from 11.3 cents to 10.2 cents. That's bad for solar because it just means that when you're saving electricity, even if you're self-consuming it, um, you're saving less money on it. But the big kicker is the excess energy credit, which is what you get credited for for any power that's fed back into the grid, goes from previously the 11.3 cents you were paying for electricity down to by 2020, it goes to 2.6 cents, the whole the lowest wholesale rate. So that's an enormous difference. And just to sort of walk through how that impacts impacts the economics of solar for a customer, an average residential solar customer maybe exports something like 50% of the production of their system. It depends on the size of their system and the load on their house, but that's a decent benchmark. Um, so we modeled it out for customers who are going to be installing solar or have been installing solar, and it's terrible. Um, for a customer who already installed solar, somebody in, in 2015, we estimated that their average payback period for their installation in 2015 would have been something like seven or eight years, pretty standard for a solar market in the U.S. By the time you get through with all these changes, the payback period broke the model that we use, which says that the payback period jumps to potentially more than 30 years. And another way to look at it is we modeled out what a PPA price a customer would have to be offered in order to have it be at parity with their electricity savings. In other words, what would allow the customer to install solar um, without spending extra money, right? That's the sort of benchmark that companies like SolarCity have, have used for years to be able to enter a market. And it goes from a, a PPA price that was, you know, in the equivalent of, of 10 cents or so um, this year to by 2020, you'd have to offer a PPA that's 3.6 cents per kilowatt hour. Completely unrealistic, never going to happen. So basically... Um, this ruling effectively will kill residential solar in Nevada. There's almost no way that that's not true. This is, this is a much more aggressive stance than has been taken in any other state. The closest is Wisconsin, uh, but even Wisconsin didn't lower the excess energy credit nearly as far. So definitely Nevada, especially among solar markets. I mean, Nevada was the, the third largest and it's sometimes the second largest residential solar market in the country. So this is a huge deal. Yeah, for- Nevada exploded. I mean, in the last year and a half, two years, it has got, what are we seeing, tenfold increase in installations it's actually it was like a thousand fold oh, th- uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no good seriously Lord. i mean nevada just boomed all of a sudden which you know arguably is part of why this happened but, wait actually yeah, i got some Did numbers it- from nv energy actually um on july 31st there were 10,540 interconnected systems with 12,794 in the pipeline. As of January 1 of this year, there were 17,655 interconnected systems, so 7,000 just between July and January. Those are all net meter customers. The pipeline is currently at 14,428. Yeah, okay. though I tell you, that 14,000, none of that's going to get done. So she'll Not set yet. us up with the language here. Julia, set us up with the politics and how this is playing out in the state. I mean, I guess we're all trying to figure out why this decision is so dramatically different from other decisions uh, at regulatory bodies around the country that are considering net metering. But firstly, 
how is this playing out? Because you've been talking to solar companies, you've been talking to Envy Energy, and you've been talking to customers, and you're, you're trying to figure out what is going to happen next. What are the politics as, as they stand? Well, uh, next week, uh, the commission will start or is going to look into reviewing the grandfathering element and the energy put forward a proposal to try and revisit that given the huge backlash, um, which is sort of interesting that you have the utility coming out saying, hey, maybe grandfathering you know, is a good idea after all, although I understand they've put out seven different proposals ranging from don't change anything to 20 years of grandfathering. So there's still a lot of wiggle room in there. Uh, solar companies clearly are up in arms. Solar customers, as Shale mentioned, they're, a lot of them are going to see savings disappear. Um, not all of them, mind you. I talked to one customer who thinks that the solar companies are a huge ripoff, the big um, leasing companies. He put his solar system in for something like $14,000, I believe, did it himself, you know, got contractors on board. And he thinks under the new time of use rate plan that NV Energy is offering, which we aren't talking very much about, but that is part of the deal that there's a time of use rate option. Uh, he says he will continue to save money. It's if you're locked into this, you know, long-term PPA where you'll start to see pricing. So he's very pro-solar, just says that this is being framed really pro um, big solar companies. Uh, so anyway, there's a, a clearly a difference of opinion out there. Um, the regulatory staff itself has been on the defensive because uh, they've been accused of being improperly influenced by the utility. Um, NV Energy did seek to lower net metering compensation last year. They did not initially, or they didn't seek um, to have it apply retroactively. Um, so the PUC has been sort of accused of going out of their way to help the utility. Um, it should be noted that they have are on the record saying that that's just blatantly false. And I, uh, visibly, this one woman, Anne-Marie uh, Cuneo, I, uh, one of the staff members at the PUC, was visibly shaken, saying that that's just sort of a shameful accusation. And it's hard to know what to think, whether or not they were directly influenced or not. They clearly see the solar companies being really aggressive. You know, in the, one of their filings, uh, they mentioned... Uh, this was literally from one of the dockets that uh, sending a more accurate price and value signal through the revised rate structure is more important than creating an inaccurate false sense of stability. So they think that this industry is being somewhat propped up and that customers should be treated equally. And I, there hasn't you know, been much conversation around that, but clearly some people feel that the vast majority of customers in NB Energy are overpaying uh, to allow for rooftop solar. So that's some of the different opinions out there. And of course, uh, battle lines have been drawn around that. I mean, I'll say just to the guy who thinks that he's still going to save money, there it's it's possible, but it's only possible basically if he's barely exporting anything, which means you know he has to have pretty big load that has to stay pretty high. Um, if he's a traditional residential customer, even under time of use rates, by the time 2020 rolls around when the the sort of gradual transition is done, there's almost no way that he's saving money just given how, how little you make on exported generation. But it is possible, you know, a few customers could still look good if they've sort of got undersized systems and, and pretty high load. But setting that aside, I think that it's worth just talking for a minute about the grandfathering thing, and then we can set that aside because it seems to me likely now that grandfathering gets reinstituted. The PUC, if they truly are independent, could 
do whatever they want technically, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, even Envy Energy, as I mentioned, put forward a suite of proposals. I understand there are seven of them, ranging from nothing changing really, so this four-year incremental change, to um, a 20-year grandfathering. So it's, uh, yes, some, I would reckon that some kind of grandfathering will come into play, but it's not really clear how how long people will be grandfathered in for. Grandfathering to me seems like, um if you suddenly make major changes to net energy metering, like this clearly is, without grandfathering existing customers, it it makes it difficult for anyone to feel like they're making a long-term investment in solar um, without taking a big leap of faith. The tricky part is like, as far as I can tell, legally, customers are warned, you know, they are on the hook. And there's an interconnection agreement they sign with Envy Energy that notes that legislation and regulations are subject to change. Uh, nothing in the solar contracts guarantees them savings. So it's almost like uh, taking a step back. It makes total sense that you should have confidence in a long-term agreement. But in the details, there's nothing that says that they're guaranteed that long-term agreement. So when it comes to some of the lawsuits and threatened lawsuits that are cropping up in Nevada, I wonder just how much of a legal leg they'll have to stand on. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't, I mean, I'm obviously I'm not a, a lawyer, but I, it's hard for me to imagine that, that this is illegal um, because the contracts, you know, people say it's, they're breaking a contract. Well, the contract is between the solar company and the customer. It's not between the utility and the customer. The interconnection agreement, like you said, doesn't guarantee that. So though it strikes me as legal, basically what's happened in every other state that has dealt with this, every state except for Nevada, is that they've, the Public Utilities Commission, who's responsible for the well-being of all of their ratepayers, whether they have solar or not, has looked at this and said, well, you know, even if we're going to make some changes moving forward, we don't want to suddenly eliminate all of the economic benefit that all of these customers believed that they were getting for the past few years. Because even if we think that there's a cost shift from solar customers to non-solar customers, we don't have so many solar customers now that that cost shift is enormous. So even if that's the argument that we're making, I think it's reasonable and fair for us to allow grandfathering for existing customers and make the changes for new ones. And that feels to me like, you know, if you're going to make big changes, that's a that's a reasonable way to go about doing it um, just because of the implications that that not grandfathering has. Right. I mean, I've gone on record multiple times saying I think that this is abysmal, shameful public policy to not grandfather customers into this uh, new rule. I will, however, say that I, I, I'm a little worried about what solar companies promise their customers because there was this flurry of activity before these changes were made and they knew that there were all these regulatory risks. And you saw so much solar go in in the months while net metering was up for debate uh, at the Public Utilities Commission. So the solar companies here have a, a role to play, and, and I'm not quite sure how culpable they are, but I would love to hear your thoughts from either of you if, if you think that they overplayed their hand and were not upfront with their customers about the potential risks. I, I asked uh, Sunrun about that, and I mean, they, they just said, they reiterated this is so unprecedented that there was no reason way for them to believe that customers would be affected retroactively, um, especially given the the job loss element of it, that this is a vital part of Nevada's 
economy, mind you, according to one of the commissioners, when the solar companies were asked for job information, they refused to give it in the proceeding. They said it wasn't relevant to the case, according to a PUC staff member. So interesting that while it was being debated, they didn't offer those numbers. And then apparently, you know, they've since gone on to lay off and close offices. Um, so that's an interesting little wrinkle. But I guess to, yeah, the retroactive point, they just didn't see their, this possibly being applied so far, far back. Again, another note is that um, NV Energy's proposal to implement grandfathering, I believe, only goes back till September 1 when the net metering caps were reached or they were notified about the cap or something along those lines. So even if there is grandfathering for the bulk of solar customers, there will be a, a thousand or two potentially that um, are still affected by the retroactive changes. And this also goes for customers in Arizona if some of the changes proposed there are approved. Yeah, I'm torn about it, honestly. I, I think Sunrun's point is a, not a bad one, that basically what's happened in other states when this has gone on is that you know the solar companies have continued to sell throughout the course of a regulatory proceeding as it's ongoing um and in the end the public utilities commission has sort of recognized the reasonableness of of grandfathering and so it's been okay for those customers um so they had no reason to sort of assume that it was going to be different in nevada and at the same time you also can't expect them to just sort of stop selling or even to throw these huge caveats as soon as as soon as something is proposed and I'm just not exactly sure how they should have gone about doing it and how how much they should have stressed it to customers. Well, Let me one question that I have, Julia, because I know you you've talked to a few customers, right? A few homeowners who've gone solar. Yeah. Yeah. So my question is, who do they blame for this? One of the things that I wonder is when as this happens, are they blaming NV Energy for proposing this? Are they blaming the Public Utilities Commission for um, ruling in this way? Are they blaming their solar installer for not telling them? Are they just blaming everybody? Huh. Yeah, I, no, actually, they're pretty squarely blaming the utility. And more so even I heard than the regulators. I don't know if that's just because that's the language that's being thrown around. You know, there's a Bloomberg story with um, Warren Buffett fighting Elon Musk and the sort of NV Energy owner versus Solar City owner battle. So I don't know if that's just what's out in the out in the air, but they they were yeah, pretty sophisticated. Yeah, NV yeah. Energy is an easy target. It's harder to like target regulators who people don't even know. NV Energy right. is the company that people they they see the logo, they buy the energy, they know the company. Do you yeah. buy any of this? I saw that Bloomberg article. I just wanted to comment on it for a second because I get really annoyed by this. Like, is there anything to the Elon Musk versus Warren Buffett thing here? People say that like Elon Musk is is fomenting a distributed energy revolution and Warren Buffett is all about utilities because Mid American owns a bunch of utilities. Like, do you ascribe anything to those specific people and the battle that they're having? Or is it just sort of coincidental that a company that Elon Musk is on the board of and an investor in is sort of doing battle with a company that is owned through Berkshire Hathaway? I think it's great fun, but yeah, I have no I don't think that I don't think those guys are specifically head-to-head -head, Tesla's trying to sell big batteries to utilities that's probably going to make them more money than the residential space will so there's an alliance there I think this I think it's more of a coincidence and just the way it sort of ripples up yeah it makes yeah. a damn good cover that's what I think 
Yeah, yeah. that was a clever photo. Do you see that? The, or not photo. God, it was a drawing. It was a of GIF. Like, the, of literally, of, of, yeah. Was it a GIF? I didn't see that. There's an of animated version. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. but look, I don't, I don't think that, that, that this is truly a battle between these two people, but ultimately it is a war of philosophies. And I, I think that Warren Buffett and Elon Musk do see things pretty differently. And the press plays it up in a way that makes it feel like more of an acute conflict. But I think there's something there. I'm not sure I do think it's a war of philosophies. I, I wonder, or I worry rather, that it is framed in that way. Because in reality, what it should be is grappling with the, the most accurate and fairest way to compensate customers who want to install their own generation, whether it's solar or otherwise. And this is something that sh should be able to be calculated. And the problem is that what's happening in all these regulatory venues is that like neither side is really trying that hard to actually figure out the right numbers. And so the utility throws something out there that says, well, we think you know, export generation should be compensated at the wholesale rate. That's obviously too low, in my opinion. It doesn't account for any of the benefits of distributed energy, T&D avoidance, all these things. Um, solar companies say, no, it should be full retail net metering forever. Uh, and, you know, it seems unlikely to me that that is exactly the right compensation, even if it should be close to that. You know, as a lot of people have said, it's a blunt instrument. So there's, it's not a, it shouldn't be a political, you know, war of, of philosophy about, how energy should be generated. It should be a sort of boring regulatory issue. And it just isn't given how these battles are playing out. Yeah, you know, there was a study that was put out, I think it was commissioned by the governor's office in Nevada to look at the benefits of solar and the cost of solar. But the PUC threw it out because they said that it took into it over, it took in too high of an assumption for what large scale solar costs. And so that threw off the relative benefit of distributed small-scale solar. So that was just one input that they said made that study useless, basically. So they relied almost entirely, if not entirely, on NV Energy's um, cost of service numbers. Yeah, that, that's right. Like in 2014, the, the Nevada PUC commissioned this study on net metering. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, the, E3. The E3 study? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that study showed that there was not a major cost shift threat and that because you know, net metering rates had changed a little bit because customers were paying these public purpose charges, that they were basically equal citizens of the grid and that they and that there would not be a massive cost shift even with a lot more solar on the grid. It, it, that study was thrown out? Yeah, my understanding is that they did not pay attention to that study, specifically according to one of the staff members who was interviewed uh, on a t local TV show because it inflated the cost for large-scale solar to $100 per megawatt hour, which is well above the market price. And so when they even just dropped that down to an $80 per megawatt hour price, uh, it totally changed the value of relative value of small-scale solar. So uh, basically they determined that the benefit structure assumed in that study was off and they could not rely on it. I don't okay. get why... The, the Nevada is not the only place that has done this, right? There was a study that was commissioned by, I think it was Excel Energy in Colorado and Brattle Group did it, um, that was comparing the economics of, of distributed solar to utility scale solar. I don't really get why that's that's what we're comparing here. You know, especially in the case yeah. of 
where we're what we're trying to decide is how to compensate excess generation from from rooftop solar. I don't see how the cost of utility scale solar is actually all that relevant. The only way it seems relevant to me is if you know you're trying to meet a, a regulatory mandate to get to a certain amount of solar, and you're trying to figure out whether the mix should be more utility scale or more distributed. But otherwise, this like argument that I feel like actually gets proposed a fair bit that uh, that centralized solar is cheaper than utility scale solar, which actually was in the MIT Energy or Sol- Future of Solar study, which was kind of prominent as well. Um, it just kind of seems superfluous to me. Like, yeah, maybe that's true. Utility scale solar is cheaper than distributed solar. But if customers want to install their own generation, they should be able to do it and they should be compensated fairly for it. But it's the the cost shift, right, comes back to how much should other people support distributed systems. And if you say that there are communal benefits, some of them being environmental, uh, then you could argue large-scale solar offers those same benefits for a cheaper price. And that's what the PUC believes. The woman, uh, staff member I referenced, specifically said, why would I encourage distributed solar for $0.11 cents when you can get the same resource for 38 Right. But so, but that's, okay, so that's a, that's a great point. But it also speaks to exactly how these calculations should be run. So if our fundamental question here in the case of Nevada is what should exported solar be compensated at? You should start at the wholesale rate. Obviously, it's not worth worse than any other generation at that same time. So you should be compensated beginning at the wholesale rate, and then you can layer on a number of other benefits. You can layer on T&D avoidance, fuel price hedge, and potentially environmental benefits. And so if you want to say that, you know, rooftop solar has should be get less than utility scale on that specific item i'm willing to have that conversation but it's still you know the way that it's framed as if i'm a, a public utilities commission do i want to support rooftop solar or support utility scale solar i just think that's the wrong frame because the big transition that's going on in, in electricity or at least starting in electricity in the us right now is the increasing empowerment of the customer, the ability of the customer to get more engaged with their energy consumption, their energy usage and generation. And, you know, that's something that I think ultimately will will be good to the system as long as other customers aren't paying an outsized amount for it. So that should be your frame, not like which kind of solar is best. Exactly. But let's look at that a little bit deeper, Shale, because couldn't you make the case that if you're paying for distributed solar at the wholesale rate, but you have all these other benefits, the TND deferral, the environmental benefits, that distributed solar owners are now subsidizing non-solar owners because they're providing a benefit for the grid and then they're getting undercompensated for it. I mean, I, I don't think so because I think what I'm saying is you use this method to calculate the compensation the rate at which a solar owner gets paid uh, for their exported generation, which means that if you are accounting for theme, things like T&D deferral and all these other things, then that should get calculated in. There should be no cross-subsidization at all. They're not doing that in Nevada. So if they're not fairly accounting for those benefits and they're simply they're tripling fixed charges and they're simply compensating solar owners at the wholesale rate, then technically the people who own solar who are providing a benefit to the grid potentially are subsidizing 
people without solar because they're providing a broader yeah. benefit. Yes, I think that is exactly the case in Nevada. That's why Nevada's ruling is so different from most other states is because they've made the excess compensation completely uh, at the wholesale rate. They haven't done anything above and beyond that. And as you said, the fixed charge goes higher. So I think that's exactly what will happen in Nevada. And then you have examples of other states that have dealt with it in a way that seems at least closer to fair to me. So California is your big recent example of that, which is you know, the California Public Utilities Commission just ruled on their net metering 2.0 decision. So the next iteration of, of net metering in California, which is the by far the largest residential solar market in the country. It's half of the entire residential solar market. And basically, they they largely kept full retail net energy metering, but they did make one change to make it such that you can't net out uh, non-bypassable charges, which basically has a net impact of reducing the effective compensation for exports from residential solar by two or three cents a kilowatt hour. So it goes from what was full retail to now full retail minus two or three cents a kilowatt hour. So it's ultimately it's between retail and wholesale. And I'm, I'm pretty sure at the end of the day, somewhere between retail and wholesale is where most states end up. But right now, most states are either at full retail or as Nevada is now at full wholesale. And, and clearly wholesale is not enough. Julia. What are we watching next? What are uh, you keeping your eyes on and what should we all be paying attention to? Yeah, um, again, next week, the uh, PUC is expected to take up this uh, reconsideration of grandfathering. Um, I think they're going to look at some of those seven proposals NB Energy put forward. Also, as I mentioned, uh, the there's a ballot initiative uh, ongoing. Uh, no Solar Tax Pack uh, is leading that. They're trying to hold a referendum uh, to change the actual law that enabled uh, the PUC to make its decision. So that's ongoing. Uh, Sunrun Task is leading an initiative to try and get Sandoval to uh, fire basically the three commissioners in Nevada. Uh, not sure how successful those efforts will be, but they certainly are keeping this in the limelight. I think it'll be interesting to watch Arizona. Uh, it will tap into a lot of these same issues we've been discussing. Uh, they've got a value of solar, cost of solar proceeding ongoing. Before that, I believe that's being taken up in April. Before that, Tucson Electric Power has its general rate case, which is to be decided in March. And as a part of that, they are seeking to reduce uh, net metering compensation to the wholesale rate. Um, that would date back, I believe, to July when uh, they first proposed this. So again, you'll have some grandfathering issues there, whether it's you know maybe just a small chunk of customers, but it'll certainly be an issue for some. Um, but that could also get kicked down the road. They could cut out that solar part of that rate case and defer to the larger value solar proceeding. But no doubt there will be a bunch of back and forth there. So I think Arizona will be really interesting to watch. And uh, overall, half of the states in the United States are considering or studying net metering in some way as of late last year. So I think the entire country will have this, uh, see this issue uh, persist. Yeah. And Shale, that brings me to you because I want to give you the last word. We've talked about this a couple of times and we have debated the use of the word precedent. Does this set a precedent for other states, considering what Julia just said? There are so many other states considering changes to net metering laws or how to compensate solar. As you've looked into this Nevada decision and considered how it's evolved at the PUC and the politics of the issue and how the solar industry has reacted to it, does this set precedent 
has your opinion changed on whether this is just unique to Nevada or whether we could see similar stuff happen in other states? Yeah, I've been grappling with that a little bit. Um, so in a literal sense, it does not set a precedent. Uh, every public utilities commission is in, you know, very individual and deals with things on its own. And it's not like a court of law where just because one state has done it, another state can say, oh, now I can do it too. So it's not a literal precedent. But the question is, does it make it more likely that other states will impose changes retroactively because Nevada has? And I think there's a case to be made either way. Um, the case for it is obviously once it's happened once, somebody in another state can point to it and say, oh, that worked. And, you know, if the legal challenge doesn't go through, then it was proven to be legal and it's a little easier to propose elsewhere. Uh, so you have a little bit of cover. The argument on the other side, and I'm, I'm sure this is the one that the solar companies are banking on, is that even if this is ultimately upheld, it is painful for the governor, it is painful for the Public Utilities Commission, it is painful for Envy Energy. They're getting a ton of bad press, they're getting sued, you know, there are protests. Um, we've had celebrities, Mark Ruffalo was in Nevada a couple weeks ago protesting. I mean, it's not a pleasant situation for them. And so one would think that a utility or a Public Utilities Commission in another state might give pause before they try to implement something similar, knowing that if they try to do it, it's just, leading them into this really drawn out, bloody battle. And I'm sure that's, you know, somewhere in the calculations of the companies that are fighting against it. So I don't honestly know whether this sets a precedent that's that's likely to be followed. Um, but obviously, whether it ultimately is upheld will make a big difference. And I think it, it it's likely that if grandfathering is is ultimately introduced, um, I think it makes it even less likely that other states do something retroactively. Because if the one state that tried to not grandfather ultimately changed its mind, it's really hard to imagine another state immediately tries to take up that mantle. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. Hey, Julia Piper, our senior writer at Green Tech Media, thanks for doing this. You are following this closely. Make sure you read her writing, folks. She's been doing a great job. Uh, thanks, Julia. Thank you. Shail Khan, always good to talk to you. And I suppose I'll speak to you next week. And soon... We'll be recording this together out of the Boston office. Very exciting. Very exciting to do this in person. <laughs> With Shail Khan, I'm Stephen Lacey, and this is The Interchange, a podcast for GTM Squares. <laughs>